on. The characters on the stage accordingly took up their text where they had left off, and Gringoire hoped that at least the remainder of his composition would be listened to. This hope, however, was soon dispelled like the rest of his illusions. The actors were going on bravely, when one of the Flemish party rose suddenly, and Gringoire heard him deliver, in the midst of the universal attention to his piece, this abominable harangue. Monsieur the citizens and squires of Paris, by the holy rood, I know not what we be doing here. I do indeed see, down in that corner upon that stage, some people who look as if they wanted to fight. I know not whether that be what ye call a mystery, but I know that it is not amusing. This is not what I was told it was to be. I had been promised the feast of fools with an election of the Lord of Misrule. We at Ghent, too, have our fool's pope, and in that by the rood we're behind nobody. But we do thus. A mob comes together, as here, for instance, then each in his turn goes and puts his head through a hole and makes faces at the others. He who makes the ugliest face, according to general acclamation, is chosen pope. That's our way, and it's very diverting. Shall we make your pope after the fashion of my country? Gringoire would fain have replied, but amazement, resentment, and indignation deprived him of utterance. Besides, the motion was received with such enthusiasm by those townsfolk, flattered at being called squires, that all resistance would have been unavailing. All he could do now was to go with the stream. In the twinkling of any eye, everything was ready for putting the idea into execution. Townspeople, students, and clerks had all set themselves to work. The small chapel, situated opposite to the marble table, was fixed upon to be the scene of the grimaces. The glass, being broken out of one of the divisions of the pretty rose-shaped window over the doorway, left free a circle of stone through which it was agreed that the candidates should pass their heads. The grimaces commenced. The first face appeared at the hole, then a second face, and a third succeeded, then another, then another, the spectators each time laughing and stamping their feet with delight. The scene became more and more Flemish. The great hall had become, as it were, one vast furnace of audacity and joviality, in which every mouth was a shout, every face a grimace, every figure a posture, the sum total howling and roaring. Suddenly there was a great thunder of applause, mingled with prodigious exclamations. The Lord of Misrule was at last elected. It was indeed a miraculous grin that now beamed through the Gothic aperture, a tetrahedron nose, a horseshoe mouth, a small left eye overshadowed by a red bushy brow, while the right eye disappeared entirely under a monstrous wart. Straggling teeth with breeches here and there, like the battlements of a fortress, a horny lip over which one of those teeth projected like the tusk of an elephant, a forked chin, and above all an expression diffused over the whole, a mixture of malice, astonishment, and melancholy. The acclamation was unanimous. The crowd precipitated itself towards the chapel, and the happy Lord of Misrule was led out in triumph. And now the surprise and admiration of the people redoubled. They found the wondrous grin to be but his ordinary face, or rather his whole person was a grimace. His large head was bristling with red hair. Between his shoulders was an enormous hump, to which he had a corresponding projection in front, a framework of thighs and legs so strangely gone astray that they touched only at the knees and when viewed in front looked like two sickles joined together by the handles. Sprawling feet, monstrous hands, and yet with all that deformity a certain awe-inspiring vigour, agility, and courage. In all, 
a strange exception to the everlasting rule which prescribes that strength, like beauty, shall result from harmony. Such was the Pope whom the fools had just chosen. When this sort of cyclops appeared on the threshold of the chapel, motionless, squat, almost as broad as he was high, the populace recognized him at once by his coat, half red and half violet, figured over with little silver bells, and still more by the perfection of his ugliness, and exclaimed with one voice, It's Quasimodo, the bell-ringer! It's Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame! During all this scene, Gringoire and his piece had held out. His actors, goaded on by himself, had not ceased spouting their parts, nor had he ceased to listen. But when he saw Quasimodo and the noisy train of the fool's pope march with great clamour out of the hall, the rest of the crowd rushing eagerly after them, he made his retreat, hanging his head, the last in the field.